This Choircast podcast is brought to you by There Once Were Orange Groves, an upcoming autofiction novel by David Giles. This is a novel about two siblings, Audrey and Jacob, who are both grieving the sudden passing of their father. This bad news arrives soon after Audrey moves out of California and Jacob returns home from college. This book explores how each of them deals with their grief as it colors their day-to-day lives. It's a novel about stories, finding beauty in the little things, and the places those moments inhabit. Available on Amazon on September 19th. Western Christianity has spent the last 2,000 years telling everyone they're separated from God. This is Not Church with John and Nat Turney. Do, 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 catch it up with Matt and Keith. Hey, do, 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 go on a catch up and see what's going on with these guys. Probably nothing. All right. You can see, see, this is, this is why I write stuff out ahead of time because, uh, yeah, um, left to my own devices, it just comes out like like that. (laughs) So, hey, um, the subtitle of the, of the podcast is, uh, you suck. So welcome to this is not church, uh, underscore you suck. I am your host. The other guy with me is my sidekick. I am the host, Nat Turney. And uh, my sidekick Ouch. is John, who is currently drinking, at my advice, a bourbon Rita. Yeah. Say, uh, uh, hooey, hooey, who, John? Hooey, hooey, who, John? <laughs> I don't even know. I'm not sure. I've been drinking. So yeah, you're going to have to excuse so. me. But I'm a half a, a cocktail in. But hey, uh, we're here with another episode of This Is Not Church. Uh, we call it that because if this was church, you would be gone by now. And uh, as we always like to remind you, we agree, we'd be gone too. So uh, we have a couple of cool guests with us who really don't need a ton of introduction. If you've been around the podcast much at all, you know Matt Stefano and Keith Giles, and they're here today uh, to talk about a, a new project called Sitting in the Shade of Another Tree, uh, which is a choir collaborative effort with a bunch of great authors talking about interfaith stuff, which I think is... Let me just preface all this by saying I think that's a conversation that is sorely lacking. Uh, I think we need to talk way more about this stuff. So I think you guys are, once again, out ahead of the curve. So I'm excited to talk about this and see what's going on with y'all. Welcome to the show. Oh, actually, I need to call you by the name on your screen. Kenneth Cheesebro and Keith with lots of spaces between your names. So what's up, man? How y'all doing? Kenneth Cheesebro? Guilty, guilty, guilty as charged. It's his nom de plume. Uh, and I swear that, that Matt Wright will come out under that name of Kenneth Cheesebro. No, it, it certainly won't. I'll be on pro, I'll be on probation at that time. You should write. You know what you should do, Matt? You should write like a parody John MacArthur style book under the name mm. under the name Kenneth Cheesebro, and just go like full over the top patriarchy you know bullshit. How funny would that be? That's a good idea. And then it could just be and then see like launch it like seriously and see who embraces this new guy. Let's out MacArthur MacArthur, right? Let's yeah. just write something so over the top, Theo, bro. You know what? Piper, he's a mamby pamby compared to this new guy, man. You ain't even heard the truth. All you woke sons of bitches need to be reading Can of Cheese, bro. This guy has it on lock. You're gonna out Driscoll Driscoll. Yes. Make Driscoll yes. look like a, a wimp compared to this I guy. I feel like I'm I feel like I'm on to something. I think that's a great idea, but we just told everybody. <laughs> ah, shit. 
I used to do satire, but then real life became more satirical than satire. So. <laughs> yeah, I guess the you can't. And you also realize that no one on that side, they don't even get it. But that's the funny part. If you could do it, see, so no one who, who would buy into any of that listens to this show. In right, fact, that's true. No, you're right. That's right. Like almost no one listens to the show anyway. So we're fine. We're safe. <laughs> I mean, all five of our regular listeners, you're in on the secret now. Shh. I've seen, I've seen the numbers. It's not five. It's, it's, it's more like, it's like 12. Oh man, we've, we've more than doubled, up, John. I know. John showed, me the, John showed me the charitable stuff today, and we're apparently we're big in Malaysia, so uh, yeah. we are breaking into uh, all the big markets. Hello, to all of our all of our listeners in Malaysia. Love you guys. Hello, in Malaysia. Uh, I know I said that jokingly. In all seriousness, that's amazing. Does it ever blow your mind to think that like there are literally people in across the world? Who have decided at some point that and listen to one of your podcasts and go, that's actually very humbling. That's interesting. It is. It is kind of crazy. Like um, I think the first time it, it, it dawned on me was way back. I think we'd only been doing Heritage Capiar maybe you know a year or so or something like that. And and Rafael Palindo, right? Cheers to Rafael Palindo who started Fire and helped us start the Heritage Capiar podcast and all that. But he said something to us. We were like a little meeting, you know. This back in it was me and Matt and Jamal. And he said something like, we were, I think we had like a, a thousand, two thousand downloads, something like that. It's probably a thousand, like a thousand downloads. And, and Raphael just said, guys, think about it. Like a thousand people, like that's a mega church. Right. Like, yeah. Every episode, you have a thousand people who are listening to what you're saying. And I never, I would have never thought of it that way. But when he put it that way, it was kind of like, well, damn. That's kind of impressive, you know. Like, there's a lot of people who really do listen to what we say. So, so that's that's you. the point where the ego really kicked in, and mm-hmm. you're like, I should just start writing uh, like a book a month because <laughs> want to hear what I have to say. The ego, the ego doesn't kick in. The the humble kicks in because then you realize you don't make mega church money. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you start thinking, how could I turn this into a mega church? Because then yeah. I wouldn't make money. Still hasn't worked. Shit. It so here work. we are. I have the strategy figured out for how to do that, but unfortunately, it all starts with lying through your teeth. Yes, so, you have. Yes, and I, and I, I just have. I have this stupid conscience that won't allow me to do that. That's why I was a terrible pastor. That's why my church. That's why my church went like because I you told people not to tithe, and you told them it was okay. But yeah, like, don't give me your money, and uh, like, like come if you want to. It's really fine if you don't. It's no big Turns deal. out that's a bad strategy for uh, growing a church. <laughs> Turns out they were like, "I'm gonna take you up on that." I'm like, "Okay, you know so uh, You're right. it's a bad strategy for growing a church. It's a good strategy for making friends." That's it is. right. It is. That's and all right. those people are still my friends. So They're your friends. That's right. Even if they let even if they let me, you know, fail into poverty and squat. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, what was funny about that whole process was that I figured out for me, you know, like if I was ever going to be involved in church again, which is doubtful at this point that I could do it. But I, that's what I would do. What I just did is what I would do again. To be in a place where you don't care, where the money's not necessary, where you don't need it where you're free to say what you want to say, potentially piss off who you need to piss off and let the chips fall where the chips fall. And not that that was the one thing I was, you know, I've been in church my, most of my life and it always drove me crazy. You know, well, I can't say yeah. that because that guy will get pissed and he'll leave and there goes, there goes his offering in the bucket. And we there can't goes revenue. There goes revenue. Yeah. There goes, you know, we're not going to get the new, you know, sound system. And the, so 
But anyway, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about this amazing book in Sitting in the Shade of Another Tree. So who wants to jump in and bring us up to speed on what's up with that? When we were on the last show, I forget which podcast it was, I almost said Shitting in the Shade of Another Tree. <laughs> <laughs> that was your first title. That would be the Pat sequel. Was didn't, Pat didn't <laughs> <for> that. <laughs> and then we showed him the, we showed him the cover art. For it's, it's, the more, it's the more evangelical uh, variety. <laughs> yeah, they, didn't, they didn't like the cover. Uh, the people who are sitting in the shade of another tree. Yeah. yeah it's the rebuttal from the Gospel Coalition. <laughs> the Gospel Coalition shitting in the shade of another tree. <laughs> shitting out some shade on other people who are there. Wow. Yeah, anyway. So, Keith, can you, do you want to describe the book better than, than I just did? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, well, I think I could probably do that. I, by the way, I just want to say before you jump into this, I, I love coming on your podcast, guys, because we would never talk like this on any other podcast but yours. So this is <laughs> nice. unique. And we, we just, re- we're relaxed and we can just be ourselves and it's it's great. Yeah, so we got this idea to partner with Patheos. That was the big, that was the big idea. Like, you know, Matt and I had taken over choir and we were kind of like brainstorming ideas of, you know, things we wanted to do, uh, to, to do things different, how we wanted to grow choir. And this was one of the ideas was like, hey, what if we approached Patheos? Because Matt and I both blog at Patheos. And, you know, we know the editor and all that stuff and um, have a couple of connections there. Thought, well, what if we came to them as Choir? And we said, hey, you know, we're now co-publishers of Choir uh, Publishing. And could we do a book together? Like, could we partner with Patheos to do a book? And we came up with the idea. I think we had the idea before the, the call. We got him on a call and... But we had already had the idea that the idea was that we would get a bunch of different voices because Patheos, you know, they're the world's largest religious blogging platform and they have people blogging on the, you know, there's a Muslim channel, there's a Hindu channel, there's a Buddhist channel, there's, you know, New Age, there's all kinds of stuff. And we thought, you know, we'd, we'd ask them to give us access to and connect us to some of the better writers and bloggers on those different channels um, to write about uh, what to have them write about um, what they what they love about a different faith than their own, because most of the time when people talk about a faith that's not their own, it's to critique it and tell you what's wrong with it and how you know wrong they are and how bad it is. So we thought we were really to turn it around, and they loved it. They loved the idea. We we gave them the title idea, which I think initially the title was "Sitting Under the Shade of Another Tree," but uh, then later that. Sitting under the shade got changed to sitting in the shade. Yeah, because I was I was getting stoned and I was like, wait, you don't sit under the shade, you sit in the shade. Yeah, for sure. What the f- so we had I mean, to change you sit the under the tree. Under the tree, but in the shade. Yes. Yeah. It was that was too complicated. <laughs> so we just made it sitting in the shade. Anyway, like they loved it. They lo- thankfully they loved the idea. They sent us about half of the people I think contributing were bloggers from that, you know, from Patheos. And the other half Roughly were choir authors, and and then a couple of them were not even not either one. They weren't blogging Patheos. They weren't choir authors, but they're people that we knew that we invited. People like Safi Koskis and Hiranessa Variad, people like that. And actually, another one was a friend of mine that I knew. She's a Jewish writer. She used to be our next door neighbor when we our kids were little in Huntington Beach, and um, so we invited her as well. So there you go. Awesome. So so run down the list if you could. I would not. Uh, do it in title in total, but so I know that uh, like Safi, obviously writing yeah. from the Muslim perspective, and we've had Safi on. He's phenomenal. Yeah, Love that guy. Great guy. Uh, Shana Jha, yes, Shana Jha, co- yeah, from here to Gap, is, yeah. is a co-host, and but she was raised. 
her father's Hindu and her mother. Yeah. Yeah. So, but she was raised in a, in a mixed religious household, I believe. Yeah, her dad was Hindu, I think, and her mom was Christian. Yeah. Right. Did you have, so someone writing from a Buddhist perspective as well? Yeah. Well, Matthew wrote from a Zen Buddhist. Okay, cool. Right. Um, and then there was another Buddhist person, I think. Well, I think Kevin Sweeney wrote about Zen Buddhism. Oh, but okay. He has a Christian background and I have a Christian background, obviously. Right, um, right. But I wrote about Mahayana Buddhism. Awesome. Yeah. So Heather Hamilton is in there as well? Yes, Heather. She writes about the Kundalini. And then Brandon Andrus, of course, from Choir. He wrote a chapter about his experience getting to know some Muslim uh, people in his community. Martin Brooks, who's the uh, president of Peace Catalyst International, is a good friend of mine. Uh, used to be a part of that organization. And of course, he wrote about it as well, uh, a Christian, you know, relating to people who are uh, Muslim. Caleb Gilliland, who actually, he's also someone who's not a Pathios logger, I don't think. And, uh, but he's, he, he came in through Heather. He's a friend of Heather's. Um, and he's Baha'i. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. So that was really cool. And see who else. There's another guy named Ajaj Nakvi who is uh, Muslim and he blogs with Pathios and I've never spoken to this man in my life. I assume it's a man. It could be a woman. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's, a man. It's, a, it's a dude. I do not know this person. Uh, thank you though for your, for your chapter. Never corresponded. I mean, I, I corresponded, but never spoken, never been on a Zoom or anything with this person. And then let's see, Duncan Pyle. Duncan, remind me what Duncan was. He writes about... Um, oh, Sufis. So- Sufism. Yes. Yeah, yeah. His was really good. I really liked his chapter. I I just, just, again, uh, to reiterate what I said in the beginning, I think that that conversation is is lacking. It's one of the reasons that John and I have tried. We're reaching out to more and more non-Christian, you know, that's why we wanted to have Safi on. Let's have a conversation about Islam that's not just steeped in all the stereotypical horseshit that we normally, as Americans, we peddle, right? And Safi's great for that because Safi will flat out tell you he's he's uh, a Muslim, but he loves Jesus. So he's the perfect sort of ambassador for that conversation between Christians and Islam. Like he talked about how he talks about how you know he feels like his mission in life is to introduce Christians to the Jesus he knows from the Quran and to introduce Muslims to the Jesus he knows from the Gospels. And that's kind of what he does. So yeah, at the risk of sounding pedantic, um, which I, I'm sure I will, but what is what is the hope, what's the goal of a book like this? Is it simply to spur conversation? Are you trying to persuade people one way or the other? What's, what's, what's the hope here? I, I think all of the above. I mean, I think no matter what, like, obviously we're not going to solve all wars and create peace in the Middle East or in America or anywhere on a grand macro scale. But I think if you do your part and we're publishers and we're writers and we know people. So um, let's try to, let's try to like whatever small impact we can make on history. Let's, let's do it. Let's um, create better conversations around faith. Let's create something that should be commonplace, which is just having an interfaith dialogue. That should be the most common thing as a Tuesday afternoon. So just trying to do our part until until the until the book is not needed any longer. And it, it should always be needed, but until we're all just so empathetic and knowledgeable about not only our own faith, but about other faiths. Because that's the thing, like we're learning about other faiths in this book, but we should be learning about ours too. 
like and and who do who do we learn from? I think we learn we should be learning from people who are not like us rather rather than always people who are just like us. So our backgrounds are also diverse and our starting place is so diverse in this book and I just wish that was more commonplace. Yeah, I, I want to say too, I think the other thing that I hope is that it teaches people to listen and, you know, to listen to people who aren't like them, to listen to people of other faiths, listen to other perspectives. I mean, I, I think I'm so proud of this book because there is such a wide range of perspectives here. I mean, you're hearing about, you're hearing about a, a different religion than the one you probably practice from someone in some cases who also has a different religion than your own, you know, and, and, uh, and it's all these kind of different, it's like a mosaic, you know, it's all these kind of different facets and perspectives. I, I, I got to mention, we also left out, uh, Gregory Smith. Uh, he writes about it's, um, neo-paganism. Well, and, and Fred Stella too. And Fred Stella. And Fred Stella, um, his was on Hinduism. He was formerly a Catholic and now is practicing Hindu. And, and so, you know, it's like, hopefully, hopefully by the time someone would read this whole book beginning to end, I think what they would take away with is, wow, there's a lot of beauty in other religions. There's a lot of wisdom in other religions that we should make the habit of listening to people who are different than us, not make assumptions or judgments, you know, but really look for what's good in those other uh, other faiths because there's a lot of good there. Yeah, and it's just a conversation starter too. So it's not like it's not like the end all be all of it's not like a 600 page super accessible and it's just to get people to start having the conversation. Yeah, you didn't and, write and, some and, encyclopedia, and, right? Of you know. right, right. And it's really um, there's there's memoir parts. People talk about their firsthand experiences, and so you get to know the author at the same time, and so. Um, really, yeah, it's just a conversation. It's a bridge builder. Yeah. Well, so often our conversations are, are not that, right? Our conversations, a lot of times, and if you're raised like John and I and Keith, I'm not sure, as evangelicals, there was always an agenda behind any conversation with somebody of another faith, right? It was never just as innocent or as just, hey, let's have a conversation. Let's learn from each other. It was always with the intent of eventually steering that conversation towards you know, let me proselytize at the end. And, um, and that just, I mean, it just, it just paints people into these divided camps of like, okay, whatever I've got going on is right and you're wrong. Let me convince you of that rather than learn from each other. So. Yeah. It's not an apologetic, you know, I think I was into apologetics when I was in college and, and that's the, that was always the goal, right? If the only reason you would read a book by a Christian telling you about What's wrong with the Mormons? What's what, what do the Buddhists get wrong? What are the dangers of the New Age movement? Right? It's always like the danger and the fear and watch out for this and this. You know, they're going to trick you in that and they're going to they're going to mislead you in this other direction. And it was uh, or it's how to counter their arguments. Right? Well, ask them these questions that they can't answer. And, you know, it's all about owning them and and shutting them down and. Uh, I remember hearing stories. I used to listen to Walter Martin, uh, the Bible Answer Man, when I was in college. Oh, man, yeah. Yeah, remember that guy? I, I used I, to love that guy. I mean, now I think he's a dick. But back then, <laughs> I, thought he was, back then I thought he was awesome. And, and they would sometimes have debates, you know, where he would debate, you know, a New Age person or a, or a, or a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness or, you know, whatever. He, just different people, sometimes even a Catholic. And, you know, you just loved it when he would ask them a question and 
shut them down and confuse them. It's like, yeah, you know, he got them. They're stupid. Um, <laughs> but, but it didn't ever accomplish anything, you know? It took me a while to get out of that phase. Yeah. And I, and I, I think it wasn't until I got out of college because I was a minor in philosophy and I didn't go to a Christian college. And then I, I, I tried to use some of those techniques on my philosophy professors, you know? Uh, I took a philosophy religion course. And so we we were learning about you know, reincarnation, Hinduism, Buddhism. We visited a Buddhist temple and all this kind of stuff. And I was always in Dr. Martin mode. You know, I was always ready to give him a gotcha question or a one-up something like, yeah, I'll shut you down. You couldn't answer that question. And really looking back, I'm sure they all thought I was a giant dick. <laughs> well, I was. Well, you Truthfully, were. But that, I was. I don't know if Nat remembers, but when Nat and I were in... I think we're in high school. We had a youth youth pastor who, I don't know if you remember this, but we went to his house in the morning before school just to meet with this group of Mormons. I remember. And I remember being, we were like schooled on what to say and what not to say to kind of catch these guys in their missteps. And one of the things that I, I don't know why I remember this was that they're going to tell you that they know that their religion is true by the burning of their heart. The burning of the like, bosom. The burning right, okay. of the bosom. Yes. And and I was like That's reflux. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember thinking Lay out like, the spicy food, man. You'll be this fine. This was in like this time where I'm like, I don't really give I don't know understand what the fuck's going on. And I was like, isn't that all we do? Right. <laughs> our, our, isn't that what Christianity is? Is all about this like burning sensation of the of the heart towards towards this divinity. So that's what's in the back back of my head. So I'm like, if we're calling them out, are we also calling ourselves out? Yeah. Because he's like, and they and they can't back it up. They can't back it up. Remember that they they can't back this idea up. I was like, neither can mm-hmm. we. Exactly. Neither can we. Exactly. But we sat in this, and they were very polite. I, you know, I wish I could reach out to these Mormons who came by, and it's like, you know what? You guys were very nice. You were very polite. You dealt yeah. with our bullshit for like the hour or whatever we were with you. <laughs> but I, I don't know why that sticks with me as like this, like this moment of like, for me, it was like, they're more like me than I think we want to admit. Well, yeah. Yeah. But well, I, of course you couldn't say it, right? You, you, cause you're no. so steeped in Christianity. You had to like, Oh no, we got them. We showed them what Christianity is really about. Right. And see, well, that's the, that's kind of the thing with this book is we're hopefully what we're doing, you know, because again, in apologetics, it's all about pointing out all the differences and all the disagreements. But what we're trying to do in this book is the reverse of that is like, let's look at what we have in common. Let's look at what's beautiful. Let's look at what, what's good. Right. Um, like you were saying, like you have more in common with a Mormon than you have against them. But you want to spend all this energy and time focusing only on those couple of things that you have, you know, that you're, you're different. Um, and it just depends on your, your goal, right? If your, if your goal is to debate, if your goal is to argue, if your goal is to win, um, and those things, those things never work. Like who wins? No one wins those. I think they just, you, and you all reach a point where you just go look at across the table, the person and go, well, you're not changing my mind and I'm not changing your mind. So yes. let's just move on. It's the definition of a war of attrition. Yes. It's like <laughs> each side just eventually goes, fuck this. This isn't going anywhere. You know, yeah. well, and what was funny, so we've had an author on who was Mormon. She was a friend of Meg's, I believe. But this woman that I'm speaking of, whose name I now forgot, I'm so sorry. 
um, but she had written a a, uh, a memoirs type of book of her of her life in Mormonism, and so and it was an interesting thing because it, it you know as much as I consider myself thoughtful and progressive and whatever else, I had not stopped to consider that are other, that there are other people deconstructing their faiths that are not Christian or not traditional or not Christian. yeah not our version of right. Christian. So she's deconstructing her faith, but yeah. she's doing it in a an even more rigid system because there's really no space in there's really very, very little space inside of Mormonism for, you know, for more than one or two expressions of that faith. It's not, it's not a very pluralistic kind of, you know what I mean? Like you can look at Christianity and go, well, like from one end of the spectrum, you can find uber, uber liberal, uber, uber conservative, everything in between. Mormonism is not that. It is a little more monolithic than, Mm -hmm. than, than other versions, but, but that's not entirely, but not, but well, not, okay, maybe not, but I hadn't thought of it that way. Like here she is sort of questioning her, her faith, she's questioning, well, they, you know, I'm asking her about, like, what kinds of books do you read? And, well, the Mormon church has its own publishing arm, and they're encouraged to not read outside of that, really. They're encouraged to kind of stay inside of that place, but... Um, Can I say and, something about that? Because this is this yeah, was like it. a weird, surreal experience I had one time. So living in Orange County, California, I was driving around, and I saw this bookstore, and I, I'm a freak for books. I love books. My favorite thing to do is go to a bookstore and walk around, right? So I saw this bookstore and I was like, oh, I've never, I've never been inside this bookstore before. So I go inside and I'm walking around. And what I realize once I'm in there is that it's a Mormon bookstore. It was the Deseret bookstore. And I walk over, it was such a surreal experience, but you know what? It was really helpful because I, I realized I felt as out of place and strange as a non-Christian would probably feel going to a Baptist bookstore, right? It was just like, this is so weird, you know? And then I walked over, especially when I walked over the music section, there are all these albums, right? CDs and cassettes, and it's just floor to ceiling, the whole back wall of like country and pop and all kinds of different styles. of all these people I have never heard of in my life. And I'm thinking, this is exactly what it's like when it's like a non-Christian goes to a Christian bookstore and there's all these bands you never heard of and all these but they're, but the covers look like they're rock stars, right? They're incredible. Oh, yes, the new whoever album. It's out. I can't wait. But oh, it's only for people in that club. If you're not in yeah. that club, you don't even know what that is. And it was, <laughs> it was actually good for me because I, it gave me the experience of, of what somebody outside of the Christian bubble felt when they went into like our little bubble. And that was actually really good for me. You roll up into Lifeway and you're like, what do you mean you've never heard of the Newsboys? <laughs> right, like, exactly. That's exactly right. right. You never heard of DC Talk? Where the hell have you been living under a rock? Yeah, what's wrong um, with no, you? I've been, That's right. No, I've been living outside of your freaking bubble. You Carmen? Know? Who doesn't I've know heard, Carmen? I've heard of Flamey Grant. Does she count? Um, that's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing, and, and, and I, I'll apologize to the person we're talking about because I also can't remember her name. But the one thing that we quickly connected with, I don't know if you remember this, Nat, was our, our love of C.S. Lewis. Oh, yeah, oh. yeah. Very and cool. it was like, I was like, it was like, oh, he is quoted like all the time in the Mormon church. Really? Yeah. I was like, yeah, oh, one of the few okay. authors are encouraged to yeah. read that's not, that's outside the So Mormon actually, we and I, I do need to find out who their name is because we actually are supposed to do another episode with them just talking about the Chronicles of Narnia. Remember, Nat? We we're supposed to oh, yeah. bring them yeah. back on. Because they're like, not if they listen to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. And yeah. we're like, 
Who I'm was that get, person again? I'll get their name before the end of this episode because I feel I feel like shit right now that I can't remember their name. Okay, really that being bad. said, we've had okay, 150 on. people on. It's yeah, not yeah, like yeah. we're... I, I, I enjoyed that conversation a bunch, but, it, but we did what we sometimes do, which is whenever we get somebody on, we didn't realize she was Mormon. Or oh, sorry, really? We didn't, no, we didn't know. This was somebody that Meg wow. Calvin had said, hey, I have a friend, she's self-publishing this book, would you have her on? I'm like, absolutely, let's have her on. So had her on, got, within the first couple of minutes, we're like, oh, you're LDS. Like, well, let's talk about that. And then yeah. uh, unwittingly, we turn her into the spokesperson for that, for that, like, tell us all about it. You know, it's yes. like having the guy on that seven-day Adventist and going, I don't know a thing about that. That Tell me all about that. And you now become the de facto expert on seven-day Adventism because most of us don't know much about it other than they go to church on Saturday and they're weird. Turns out there's yeah. no. Matthew Corman. Matthew Corman is a... Uh, well, you know, we published a Seventh Day Adventist yeah, writer, that's, that's, and we have another one. We have another one. We're going to publish a good friend of mine, Herb Montgomery. Uh, we're going to pu- publish him. Well, and James Early is James Early a choir choir author? No, but he's a good friend of mine. But he's, I know uh, and he's he's Christian Science. Oh, that you know what? I just figured that out because he sent me something, and I was like, oh, okay. we had a long conversation, cool. and I'm like, okay, I have to put aside my biases and prejudices. And based on yes. what little I know about Christian Science, and say, okay, well, tell me about this. What's how does this? And, you know, and it was it was fascinating. Yeah. I still find myself going, eh, weird. But um, but but yeah. So we've tried. John and I have d- deliberately been like, okay, how can we reach out to not just the typical deconstruction, you know, bro, you know, Theo Bros like us? Um, let's get some folks on here who who talk about different stuff. And we're really hell bent on eh, not you know, pun intended. We're hell bent. <laughs> uh, the more the more diverse their faith background, the better, man. I'd much rather have a conversation with a practicing Buddhist at this point than another deconstructing Christian, just because, you know, right. I, I want to know more about that stuff. I don't know, you know, uh, Adam Bucko was another one that we had on that was really great, who's, he's Episcopalian, but very, very interesting background of like Polish descent, I think. What, yeah, what, his wife, his wife is, uh, oh, his wife is Buddhist. Isn't she? His wife is yeah. Buddhist and uh, studied under Thich Nhat Hanh at Plum Village. No way! Yeah, yeah. yeah. he also he also went on a. Um, I'm going to get this wrong. It's not a spirit quest, but like that type of, with Bearheart, who's like another one of my heroes. He's a Native American. He's since passed, but Native American who will take you on these vision vision quests. A vision and, quest, yeah, uh, yeah. So that was that was a very interesting conversation. Very cool. Very yeah. Cool. So yeah. See all this conversation that, that comes up when you start talking about a book like this, that can lead us into better conversations. I think than maybe the ones we've been having, and maybe we wouldn't, you know, be watching what's unfolding on the news right now. Yeah, and that's isn't that kind of interesting? You know, like we had we could have we had no idea publishing this book that soon after publishing it there would be this flare up in the Middle East and the stuff between Gaza and Israel. And man, it's. It's heartbreaking, you know. It, it does underscore how important it is to try to listen to each other, and the fruit of not doing that, right? Of, of, of continuing this whole us and them thing, and we're right and you're wrong, and how that it, it escalates and escalates to something like this, where it's horrible. Yeah, and the dynamics of you know the dynamics of that whole conflict. I don't, I don't pretend to understand fully. I do get tired of the knee jerk, immediate support for whatever Israel does is great. And everything the Palestinians do is is tragic, but I have got to go through my Facebook feed and find out how many are like, I stand with Israel people that I got to go, come on, man. Do you do you always? 
I mean, is there room to critique yeah. anybody here and say, listen, I don't, maybe you, maybe you can approach this differently, but through some kind of dialogue. I think that's, I, I agree. I think that's my, the, my problem is not, yeah, it's the unquestioning, you know, just sort of like automatic, no matter what they do is, I mean, I wouldn't do that with America. No. You know I mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't do that with any country. Why would I just say, Whatever you do, I support you. My country, right or wrong? Like, really? Yeah, love it or leave it, baby. Love it or leave it. Yeah, I just, I don't understand not having any kind of nuance to say, you know, sometimes, sometimes uh, leaders might get it right, but sometimes they're going to get it wrong. And you have to be able to say that was good or that was bad. You know, that was a mistake. But so much of that is wrapped up in that certain brand of evangelical sort of prophetic end times bullshit that they're like, that the Bible says, if you, if you yeah, if you bless Israel, God will right. bless you. I, I grew up in that stuff, right? You guys probably did too. My, my dad telling me that all over and over again, you know, like we have to support Israel because, uh, God says, you know, he'll bless those who bless Israel and curse those who curse them. So, so, but the, how that gets translated into like whatever they do, we're just going to say, okay, like that just doesn't yeah. seem smart. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can look through the scriptures yeah. and see that, that God himself According, according yes. to the narrative, was very critical of Israel. So <laughs> even God doesn't have the attitude, you know. I support Israel no matter what. Like, well, even God was sort of like, well, until you turn into you a know, bunch of assholes, maybe you should stop that. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I just, I mean, I'm not quiet about my position at work. So I had, you know, I had coworkers ask me. A, a coworker asked me, he's like, "Well, what's your what's your opinion on the whole Israeli Palestinian?" I was like, I stand on the side of people who are being murdered for no reason. Yeah. And that's on both sides. The Palestinians, first of all, the Christians who stand up and they're, they're pro-Israel, they're pro Israel, first of all, they're Zionists, and that's what they need to understand. And they are bombing Palestinian Christians. That's the, part, that's yeah. the part we don't want to talk about. No. They're like, oh, no, we're just killing, we're just killing those, those Muslims. No. Yeah, you are murdering. Now, that, should, that should also be bad. We shouldn't be happy yes, about killing yes, Muslims. Yes, but but I, I get what your point is. Is like I know for a fact there's so many of these uh, Israel right or wrong, we support Israel no matter what. You know, uh, right. Christians in America, and they are clueless about the fact that they're cheering on the bombing of. I mean, there was a there was a uh, Orthodox East Orthodox Church that was bombed, right? Yeah, yeah. And again, of course the. Christians are just like clueless about this. Like, do you see me? Do you understand what's going on? And they don't. And then there's there's the Palestinians who literally, they, their, their day-to-day life work, they work within Israel, right? They go to Israel every day and they, they work. And now they are being held captive. Right. They so can't they get can't to their own work. family. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you don't, this, this isn't about the day-to-day workers within these two nations or whatever you want to call them. This is about, the leaders of these two groups who hate each other and completely oblivious to the murder. Again, it's, 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 I mean, we can, we can go back to world war one, world war two. You can go back as far as you want and talk about the killing of the innocent, right? Is in the betterment of whatever the fuck you think you're, you're trying to, to conquer or try to move forward. It's, it's never about, no one ever wants to talk about the innocent lives that are, that are being taken within this struggle. It's just about Netanyahu and Hamas, right? That's all it is. And that's all we want to talk about. And so we have, and so I was having this conversation with this guy. I was like, you don't understand coming from 
the background of Western evangelical fundamentalists. You don't understand what they're doing. And they are moving forward this idea of the second coming. Yes. This is, yeah. right? And this is, they, they feel like if they move this forward, that they are bettering our chances of Jesus coming back soon. And that is some scary shit because they're willing to kill hundreds of thousands of people with the potential of their Jesus. Yeah, but that's nothing compared to who Jesus is going to kill when he comes back, John. Don't worry about it. Oh, yeah, well, billions. I mean, true, billions. true. I mean, yeah. true. Yeah. But it also... Go ahead, go ahead Kenneth Cheese, bro. <laughs> but it also... Thank you, Your Honor. Um, <laughs> the, the sickest part about their whole end times wet dreams... Um, <laughs> exactly. ...are that... I mean, the the Jewish people are just pawns in their scheme. Yeah. Like they're, they're not saved. Exactly. They're not a part of the right. elect or whatever. So like, they're just, they're just a, literally a political pawn. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's atrocious. And, and, and it's not just like some far right fringe sect without political influence. It has literally impacted. I was, I was thinking about it today. Um, it's like if you get really granular, you can get on how I mean, obviously, terrible the bomb, the you know carpet bombing is. How terrible Hamas has been. If you broaden it out, and you broaden it out further, it comes back to like, where does our support come from? I think it comes from it's it's way more political than it is religious. Yes, yeah. I mean, it's using religion, you know, in that eschatological mindset to influence politics and we love Israel I mean not to be super reductive in America because it's like it's like a dry dock for our our colonial ship in the Middle East so we yes. can have some sort of footprint in the Middle East That's exactly, and without yeah. without them we don't really have a you know a jumping off point or we don't have we don't have a, a, a you know our fingerprint in the Middle East as much yeah well it's the same argument behind the invasion of Iraq it's the same Arguing yeah. behind, you know, nation building in Afghanistan is like, well, we need, you know, we need some, some place where we can have some American style influence in that backwards part of the world. And as it comes with a lot of arrogance, you know, as though, you know, they're not capable of governing themselves without American style democracy. And America has a very short, short memory, right? So who, who put the Ayatollah in power? Who helped make that happen? Who put Saddam Hussein, who put Saddam Hussein in power? We have a very short memory. Who armed and trained Osama bin Laden? Yes. We did. Yes. Because he was he was the CIA's guy in Afghanistan, and we trained them and funded them for years. And I don't I don't I don't want to bring it down to a Marvel moment, but it's it's all the it's the all the Tony Stark moment, right? Where he's in the middle of the Middle East and the bomb lands next to him and he realizes that he's being bombed by his own shit. Yeah. Yeah, there was a, there was someone held up a, a shell casing in Gaza and had a, a U.S. manufacturer because right. we're selling weapons to them. Yeah, and unfortunately, Iron Man has just basically showed us our own truth. That's right. America has been doing this since yes. World War II, if not farther back. It is. That's that's yeah. the, the bottom line. Is that war is commerce always has been. Everybody loses in war except. The weapons manufacturers, you know, you got the military industrial complex, not again, not to be reductive, but that, that seems to be the case. But when you have though, when you have the support, the unflinching support of a large, 
they're not a minority. I mean, this is a large group of American Christians who are like, like, like knee jerk reaction. We support Israel no matter what kind of folks. You got the church in freaking Kansas City that's run by that nut job. The, the national, the, IHOP, IHOP. <laughs> the, okay, the one I'm thinking of is the IHOP, which Mike the Bickle. International House of Prayer. What is that guy? Uh, Bickle. Mike Bickle. Bickle at yeah. one point. Yeah, I still think it is. Um, but his entire church is predicated on the ushering in of the end times. They have a 24-hour... They're they're thrilled by this. Yes. This is fantastic because... Uh, John Hagee is the other guy. Uh, he's in San Antonio. Oh, right? John Hagee. John Hagee. Yeah, that guy drives me crazy. But yeah, he's he loves it too. He's one of those like... He's got like, you know, an Israeli flag in their, in their oh, uh, yeah. worship area. He's like such a, he's a hardcore Christian Zionist. But again, but not because he really loves Jewish people, but because he thinks that they have to get slaughtered so that his Jesus can come back and take him to his pearly gates and big mansion in the sky. Yeah, none of this is about the people and it contrasts our book because our book's about the people. The funny thing about our book is that I'd say it's like entirely humanist. Take God out of all of it and we're all just a bunch of humanists. Yes. but this this is just about yeah it's not it's not it's not about the people it's not about the Palestinian what and what we're saying isn't like about the Jewish people it's not about the Palestinian people it's it's the realization that like man it's just it seems like we got power vacuums all over the world and when you have these power vacuums like shitty people step into them yeah like a really right wing fundamentalist branch of I wouldn't even call it Judaism because it really doesn't have anything to do with Judaism, just like America doesn't have anything to do with Christianity. And and then you got you got probably I I haven't done a lot of history on Hamas, but I, I bet they're not super progressive. No. Nope. <laughs> um, when you you know you don't create these power vacuums and then and then get some sort of like super progressive democratic socialist type. Um, and so you've got right wingers running running right wing regimes fighting other right wingers who create their right-wing regimes, and who gets screwed? The fucking people. Half of fucking Palestine is children. Half are children. Like, let that sink in. Half of the fucking people. And half of the adults are elderly and women. And we are yeah. watching them yeah. be bombed into oblivion and cheering from the sidelines going, well, you're going to get what's coming to you. But a guy like Safi yeah, would come along sad. and say, I would think, not to put words in his mouth, but I think he would challenge the faith of those types of leaders and say, well, they don't represent Islam. Like at least not the Islam. I know that Safi's a man of peace. I know that he he represents yes. a version of Islam that a lot of American Christians would deny exists, but which is a large part part of that religion. Which is Islam is a religion of peace, and so it's been hijacked by. Same with Judaism. I was listening to a rabbi uh, talk about how the Israel state existing as is is antithetical to Judaism. Like there's no qualms about it and 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 jewish rabbis are super nuanced nuanced all the time and it was like no <laughs> not on this like this this can't even exist per judaism it has nothing to do with judaism and i was like well i'll defer to that because yeah the way i understand judaism as well just like the way i understand christianity you can't have a christian nation especially one like america it's, it's the same it's it just it's antithetical to who jesus was well it it, it also calls into this idea that uh, obviously things happen you know, you don't want to get into like deep conspiracy theories, right? But there were thousands upon thousands of um, people within Israel, Jewish people, protesting Netanyahu and saying this this isn't what we need to do. We shouldn't be doing this. And then all of a sudden, they're bombed, right? 
And it's almost like it's like the perfect the perfect moment for Netanyahu to see. See, now we have to go to war. I didn't want to. Yes, but, but now yeah. I have to to save you people. And it's almost like I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, but it almost feels like there's like behind the behind the curtain conversations on what needs to happen to so he can like it, so we can like stop the protests because these people are these people are making too much sense. We can't have them standing out here and speaking this this like this this like common knowledge that we should understand. So, so let's get bombed. So we have to get back to war. I mean, it's the same thing. I feel like America's done it too. Like we, you know, nine eleven is about a specific situation that we end up then going after a, a country who had n- literally nothing to nothing do to with it. it. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like Netanyahu is doing the same thing, but you don't want to be conspiracy theorists, but they make it really easy to see why maybe you should be. So, you know, to bring it, I'm going to bring it back down to the ground a little bit, like, um, because all this kind of stuff that's going on, we're talking about is like, these are, these are people we can't sit down with. I can't get a, I can't go to lunch with Netanyahu. I can't, um, I can't send an email to Hamas. Uh, I can't even mail them a copy of the book. Right. Like, so we, the average person just has nothing. We can armchair quarterback it, but we have no say in it. We have nothing to do with it. Even the people living there have nothing to do with it, right? People, Jewish people in Israel, Muslims and Christians in Palestine, they have no say. They can't do anything. If, if we gave them the power, they would stop it. They would say, this is bullshit. Let's stop doing this, right? But we don't. They don't have the power. We don't have the power. And we, I guess the hope is that with a book like this, Sitting in the Shade of Another Tree, just to have... To have the people not buy into that tribalism, not buy into that us and them way of thinking, um, not be easily manipulated by, um, you know, the, the political leaders of the different countries who de- definitely I agree with you, John. They have agendas. They, they, they have, they, they have things they want to do and they're going to use, uh, tribalism. They're going to use religion. They're going to use us and them thinking to get what they want and to manipulate people to support the horrible things that they're doing. Um, and that's another reason why we should avoid that. We should say, we're not going to play that game. We're not going to buy into that. We're not going to, we're not going to fall into this us and them way of thinking. And, and I think they, and that's what's, that's what gives me hope about this book is that if more people could kind of, uh, step back from that. And if we could listen to people who don't think like us or look like us or pray like us or things like that we might learn something, right? We might actually grow, grow closer to these people. We might discover the humanity in the other person. And that's really our hope for the future is that the more people, oh, let's put it this way, the less people that will buy into that tribalism, the harder it's going to be the next time to do something like this, right? Because there just won't be enough people supporting it. They won't fall for it. They'll be like, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not buying that. Well, and let's be real. The world is sorry, uh, real quick. The world is super small, and so we we hear all these stories all the time. And so, yeah, we cannot fix things abroad. We can't do all that, but um, we can make a little impact here and there and prevent things. Like, I mean, you have that horrible story. I forget which state it was, where some whack job kills uh, a Muslim kid or a Palestinian kid, and his mom stabs him to death in the states because of what's going on. And so it's like, gosh. What what we do affects them over there. What they do affects us over here. And so the more we can educate our own people, the more, you know, we get to a place where, I mean, let's be real, what's going on? I mean, I'll just say it like 
America has, if it's done anything in the Middle East, it's destabilized things yes. over time. Oh, of course. Yep. That's not even a conspiracy. No, that's, <laughs> no. Um, All right, those no. are just the facts, right? I mean, so yeah, we can't. We can do things. I mean, the sad thing is, it seems like sometimes. Sometimes, I mean, I'm not going to say. I'm not going to both sides it because I hate that. Right. But it does seem like so many of our like the way I think about it, less and less. Although the Republicans are terrible, but is that it's not so much about Democrats and Republicans. It's about like. Who is for big corporations, including defense contractors, and who yeah. is not? Yeah. Because that's sometimes right. what it comes down to. It doesn't matter what if you're red or blue. It's like all of a sudden you have the same like war hawk ideology. I can't, I can't get down with that. Well, and the same the same tired cliche bullshit comes out of this White House as came out of other White Houses. That's right. Right. You still have unwavering support for Israel. No, you're right. You still have yes. You still have caricatures of Hamas and those again Hamas. As an organization, I don't know. There's a political arm of that that, that may not be as horrific, but um, but that being said, um, there are dynamics there that are so nuanced that are almost impossible to discuss on the evening news, right? I mean, you have generations of people who have been pushed into ghettos, who've been pushed out of their land, who've been disenfranchised and marginalized, and who have very little in the way of resources, in the way to fight back. And so they fight back how they know how to fight back. Um, if you, if you take a second, we had this long conversation with the last, with our last interview today about, about empathy. And if you could for one second imagine yourself in their space and say, well, how would you respond to that? How would you respond to the systematic destabilization of your, of your people and your nation and your religion and the constant threat of attack and, you know, the constant, as, as Israel pushes into Gaza and the places and builds quote unquote settlements, which are just fucking neighborhoods, you know, and you're being evicted from your home to go live in a smaller and smaller and smaller space. Um, holy shit, what would you do in that space? How would you respond? You might respond violently, you know, and again, as I know Matt and Keith, we're all, we're all, we're all avowed, um, people who believe in nonviolence, but, when push comes to shove at some point, you know, when, when your, when your choices are limited, I think people make the best choices they know how to make in the moment. So, and again, and then opportunistic assholes come in and go, well, I can seize on this emotion and justify this. And I think they're a gen, I would say that the, like the, like the, the leadership on both sides of this issue, as the, as is the case most of the time are probably the same. Yeah, like they're equally dickheads, <laughs> you know. And like you, like Matt said, oh, I'm sorry, Kenneth Cheesebro said earlier, <laughs> the people who pay the price are the are the poor schlubs in the middle who don't have anything to say about it, who are just the ones who are the recipients of the bombs, right? And the rocket attacks, and yeah, they, they're they collateral. Pay the price. Yeah. yeah, and they're and then, thought about for about two seconds on the evening news when you when you use them to justify your retaliation. Um, but the human toll in this is just incalculable. It, beg- it begs the question, when will it stop? When will somebody come to their senses? Right. And I just don't know that it's going to happen. Especially when, um, thank you for pointing out that Biden has not been very uh, helpful in this because I, uh, I saw something about how he had sent an official memo to, um, to the State Department to tell all of our ambassadors and diplomats that they were not allowed to publicly demand a ceasefire uh, to, to demand that, you know, Israel ceasefire or stop the bombing or stop the violence. And when that's the official, you know, policy of America, 
that's basically a blank check to just do whatever you want. Drop as many bumps as you want. Do all the horrible things you want because we're just going to let you do it. We're not even going to, we're not even going to, you know, do the lip service to say, this is wrong. You're gone too far. Like that level of support is, um, it's really sad to see. Suddenly, all of a sudden you realize, like, I'm glad you said this, Matt, because it's like, suddenly you realize like, well, maybe they're not as progressive as I thought they were, you know? I see the same thing and I'm watching, like, I'm watching, you know, like progressive news channels because, and why do I watch them? Because I feel like, well, they're not going to give me the hype. They're going to give me more balanced news. They're going to, they're going to give me both sides of the issue. I really, I really appreciate that. But I'm really disappointed when I'm watching those quote unquote progressive news channels and they are repeating the same bullshit, right? They're saying the same thing. And I'm like, what? So like you see the how everybody's kind of following a rule book and a playbook here, which again is probably not even technically written by Biden. He's, I think he's just repeating it. Like, uh, I think some of the people that the people that really run this country are the defense contractors, the billionaires, the corporations. They're the ones who really kind of tell our politicians, here's what you should do. And again, maybe that's me, my conspiracy side of things, but I, I think that's backed up by a whole lot of research that we don't really have. We don't really have a country that's uh, our government that's by the people, for the people and of the people. You know, you know, I mean, I wrote about this in Jesus Untangled about how I, there was a research that was done, right? The study that was done that showed that over like a, I think it was a 19 year time frame, the ratio to how much the people of this country wanted something to happen had nothing. It was like zero point, you know, zero, 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 one percent, uh, impact on how their elected officials voted in Congress. Even though you're, even though we're voting them in, even though we're paying the taxes, the, the people that we elected are not uh, are not passing laws that are in our best interest, that are doing things that we, the people, want and care about the most. But the same study did find that there is a group of people for whom what they want impacts what happens in, in Washington like 98% of the time. And those people, by the way, pay no taxes. <laughs> those are billionaires and corporations, right? And it is in, when you see that kind of those numbers and you see that kind of stuff, it's like, well, shit, man, you know, what can, what really, I feel very powerless. What can we do? Well, I, I would say that something that, that your book does, and we've seen this in the past. So you look at someone like Martin Luther King Jr. You look at someone like Malcolm X, you look at, you look at those the civil rights movements or the LGBTQIA plus community as they, you know, started protesting. It was, they were grassroots. They were, they started at a place where, what did we do? We found a like mindedness of love and peace. And, and we built on that. So that's what I say. It's like, that's what I think is important about a book. Like what you're doing is like, so you, I wouldn't have ever even imagined talking to someone like Safi Koskis. It wouldn't even have been on my radar. But now that I know him and I understand him, it says, okay, I don't understand the Muslim faith the way I thought I did. So it makes me go out and, and I work with someone who's Muslim. And she is one of the most beautiful people you'd ever meet. Loving, kind. She's a better human being than I am. I strive every day to be as good as she is. 
I work with indigenous, I work with a few indigenous people who are amazing human beings who, if I hadn't taken the moment to get to know them and learn their story, I wouldn't understand their history. I work with people who are among the LGBTQIA plus community. And if I hadn't taken the time to hear their story and listen to them, I wouldn't understand the, the, the plight that they have gone through to be who they are today. And that's, I think, what we need to say. It's like, yeah, the, the American complex, the Israeli complex, whatever you want to call it, the, the, we can beat them by a grassroots building of love and understanding and willing to see other groups of people as human as, human as we are. Right. I agree with you. I think, I think to me, if there is any hope, it's, it's that. It's got to be something like that where you just have, there have to just, has to be like a reprogramming, a transformation process where at, people just reach a place where they just won't play the game anymore. I know I will not go over to this other country and shoot, shoot a bunch of people because my government tells me to. Why would I do that? I don't know them. They didn't piss me off. <laughs> you know, why am I going to die for that? Like it's, this is stupid. Um, I'm not going to participate in this stuff. I'm not going to buy into this stuff. I'm not going to let the media tell me who to hate today. You know, and, and it, that's, we, you know, you hope that's the hope is that putting out a book like this, um, and, and elevating these voices that it, 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 it moves the needle just a little bit more in that direction, I hope. Well, and, you know, I, I can only speak, you know, I'm not going to speak for your children, but I, you know, I see this in our children. I see this. As the next generation comes up, I'm not going to say yeah, they're 100 percent on board with. No, they're brutal. I got, a, I got, a, I got a junior high daughter. They're brutal, man. But don't, don't get it, don't get it twisted, man. They, were, they got some work to do. They got some work to do yeah. too. But I feel like, in a lot of ways, they they call out bullshit quicker than we ever did. No, I agree. I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not saying that they're hard. They're not hard to no, deal no, with. No. That's not they're it not at all. Schoolers, you got to. We have adult children. So we need to qualify this with middle schoolers are still hellions. But my children, okay. They're not as woke as they like to think they are. So the young, my, my youngest is 19 and they get this better than I ever did. And they call out bullshit quicker than I ever did. And that gives me hope. That really does that. You know, and I know, so I know they better be voting, I guess. Yeah. All, all my kids, yes. All my kids vote and, uh, they, they, they get what they need to do, but I, I, it does give me hope. And, you know, and of course, you know, you're living within a world of your own little bubble. Right. And I know there's other people who are raising their kids to be scary as shit, but I, I, I do see a level of hope that, that, um, there are more of our, than this, the generation of my, you know, my kids age who are just like, you know, enough's enough. You guys, you guys are stupid. You guys have messed up the planet. You guys have messed up, you've messed up politics and we're going to come up behind you. We're going to, we're going to tell you what you did wrong. And I, you know, you know, be, when I was younger, I was like, I don't like this. Now I'm like, I, I kind of like this. I kind of do. I say, bring it on, man. Bring it all on. Yeah. But the, uh, at the end of the day, I think the reason a book like this is important is all the, all, all the reasons we've stated, obviously. The, the dialogue needs to be there. Um, but I'll echo something that John and I kind of hinted at, which is most of our knowledge of other faiths is little more than a two-dimensional caricature. And so 
stuff that was taught to us, like you mentioned, either in like church youth groups to, and always with an agenda of how do we argue and win an argument against this person, this person, and always with the intention of proselytizing and bring them around to your, to, to your point of view. So something that puts you in the shoes of somebody who, who believes differently than you in such a way that you can go, okay, I, okay, I see the, I see the beauty of that. I see the wisdom of that can do nothing, I think, but good, right? Um, John and I were, our, our conversation with Safi was eye opening, mind blowing. Like, like just, just to talk about Islam sort of freely with somebody who I know is, 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 is a guy who claims to love Jesus and also believes the Quran. Like he believes things about the Quran. I don't believe about the Bible, right? Safi will tell you, right? right? <laughs> like this is the divine, perfect, inspired word of God. And so I had to like right. bite my tongue, but like, I don't think it is. But, but to find that common ground in the middle, this is, yeah, at the same time, like he's, he's not looking to, to win a debate with me. He's not looking to convince me that his way is the right way. He's looking for that common ground. And yeah, I just, I think that's, that's, that's what I think is most necessary and what a, yeah, what a book like yours really accomplishes. So kudos for that. Well, that, I think I, I think Safi's a perfect case of like I, I know Brad Jurzak talks about this. It's like it's not really what's in the book. It's like he might believe things about the Quran I'll never believe about right, any book exactly, except yeah. for my own. Well, all your books are absolutely <laughs> inspired, but they're all inspired. I mean, it goes without saying. I'll say it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but but his point, I think, in believing that is to make the world around him a better place and to be the best human he can be. And, and I, and I think, um, too often we do the opposite with our sacred texts and our traditions. And, and someone like Safi and everyone in this book, from what I've experienced, does it the right way. And I'm biased towards my way, which I think is the right way also, which is that your, your faith needs to make you a better human, regardless of all the God talk. So maybe the ultimate evolution of all this will be humanism. With whatever religious background you've got going on, which happens to be your, I think all the great leaders of all of our traditions are great humanists. I think, I think so too. And, and I don't, I, I honestly, this is my understanding of like someone like Jesus. I don't think Jesus would ever try to convert anyone to Judaism or, or Christianity for that matter. That'd be absurd. No. Well, you can see that he didn't, right? He wasn't trying to convert anybody. Yeah. Right. It was, it was just a humanist approach through his Jewish lens. And I think the Buddhists would do the same thing. And I think any, any Muslim, I, Safi does the same thing. He has no, I've never felt an interest in Safi that he's going to convert me to Islam. No, no, <laughs> he's, he's got no interest in that. And I would say then, so then ultimately, and maybe this is, you know, food for thought for something down the road, but be like, what is the point of Christianity? What is the point of the incarnation? It is that Jesus becomes human to show us how to be human. So, so all these years I was told that secular humanism is just, that's the best enemy number one, right? You came in here, you came into our schools with this bullshit humanism stuff and blah, blah, blah. When really, to me, the point of Christ's incarnation, if, if you, if you, if that's your tradition, you believe that, why does Jesus even bother becoming human? So that you can learn how to be human. Let me show you how to do this the right way. And so humanism seems to be at the heart of all of it is all of, all, the, the ultimate goal here is, how do we then take our religious traditions and use that to help us to be better human beings in the, in the world? 
Yeah, I agree. Me, I think we can find common ground throughout all of our faith traditions that way, except for the Mormons, because I think they're all messed up. But (laughs) (laughs) you're not having that lady on again. I can tell you right now. It's just the Jehovah's Witnesses were against. Everybody else is fine. Uh, You speak for yourself. Stop knocking on my door. (laughs) I'd be all right. No, I'm just kidding. No, but I mean, sorry, I can't help. I can't. I can't hardly make a serious point without at some point throwing a joke. That person who still yeah, is John. his name. John said by the end of the show, he'd have that person's name. I, I he's have a lion, it. He's a lion second. Yeah. Yeah. I have it. Okay, well, I have it. Okay, let's, let's well, I've been it. waiting for the chance. So the person that we've been talking about is, is her name is Allison Fabricius. Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. Allison, we love and you. And she was amazing. She was an amazing host. I guess. If, if you get to the end yeah, of the grovel, grovel, Matt. If you, <laughs> I am groveling because I have poked fun a bunch, but she knows it's in good nature. But if you've made it to the end of the podcast, go back and search for her podcast interview and then go buy her book. Um, yeah. Cause it was really was a great conversation. And it, yes, was, it was, it was a, I, I point to that one. Like I would point to our conversation with Safi. Like I would point to our conversation with, um, with, uh, with, with, with Wildman, whose first name I just forgot. The, the, the Terry. Who, Terry Wildman as turning points, like, okay, okay, now I, now I see this a little differently. Okay. Now I see this, you know, this indigenous perspective a little differently. And now I see, so I, all of that stuff is fantastic. And I'm going to stop babbling now. For, you know, <laughs> finally, finally, I'll just stop babbling. But all right, you guys, you guys have been awesome as always. We appreciate you sitting in the shade of another tree by choir, an amazing, uh, necessary uh, a weirdly timely book, right? All of a sudden, very, mm-hmm. very timely. If you want to kind of step into the shoes of some other people and sit in the shade of their tree um, and learn something, that that go out and buy this book. Get it now while it's uh, while it's uh, while it's available. What's uh, like? It's a limited time. You have five no, minutes. Yeah, someone noticed. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. Yeah, we're taking out a print. I think next month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gotta get it now. Like a you Disney movie. It. We're gonna put it in the vault for six months, and then Maybe we should do that. You know what? That's a great idea. Choir should consider putting books in the vault. Yeah, like, you know what? Yeah, <laughs> you have five more days, and then it's, it won't be available for another year. And then it will not be available again until two thousand. You know, like yeah. you, you, you pitch that to our authors. Be like, we're not gonna sell your book for the next five years. <laughs> and then you come. No, up no, with it's a great idea. Another, it's a great idea. Another, <laughs> yeah, another the, the other publishing arm will now be the uh, the choir vault. We'll release the vault. Those That's right. from the vault. Slowly yeah. release them. Don't all take books like Matt's that aren't selling anymore. No one's buying Heretic. Come on, man. Yeah, we'll start with Matt. We'll start with Matt's books. <laughs> no, oddly they are. There's books that I, I'm like, why are people who is buying this at this point? <laughs> <laughs> You're coming out, well, let's talk about this for a second. You are coming out with a sequel, right? I am. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you've I mean, both of you guys have multiple irons in the fire. So we probably shouldn't let a, so many an opportunity pass without saying Matt's got at least one or two books in the works, maybe three. Yeah. Most of them are Tolkien related. Yeah. Yes. So very niche. So looking forward to all of that. I know, I know uh, Keith's got stuff always, at least on the back burner, he's next, thinking about. Yeah. Next month, I've got a book. Um, I have a new book coming out called Second Cup with Keith. And uh, it's a book based on the, uh, every chapter follows one of the episodes from my podcast. So it's like 32 chapters. And uh, covering everything I talk about in the podcast, so yeah, check that out. And then there's other choir projects that are ongoing. So there many. are more classics coming out. Um, you have a sci-fi anthology coming out soon, I think. Oh yeah, the science on Halloween. Uh, the yeah, augmented volume one comes out with uh, incredible. I mean, it's there's so many incredible uh, stories and, and contributors to this thing. Um, it's it's great. I'm so excited about it. 
And then actually our next, uh, Matt, you should kind of tease what our next classic's going to be. Why, why do I have to be a tease? Because what's your idea? <laughs> Which one is that? Is that the Christmas one? How you, yes. How do you not know that? Yes. <laughs> because I, is, I'm doing so much of the legwork of choir, I get bogged down, right? <laughs> oh, okay. Um, well, no, okay. we've got, um, we've got yeah, we have, we have, uh, I don't even know if we have a title. It's But it's a bunch of Christmas stories from Dickens and the Brothers Grimm and Jeff Turner's offering a forward. Oh, awesome. And um, yeah, Jeff Jeff is a big part of Choir Classics, so it's cool. Um, yeah, that's our next one. That's going to come out uh, December 1st. So it's a great holiday treat. And, and there's actually more going on that I know you're not even ready to talk about yet. So, you, so if nothing else, this is a giant choir commercial. So for <laughs> there's the, there's the choir only fans that's coming in 2024. Yeah, <laughs> I actually already started that. It's doing really well. <laughs> oh, you did? Can I see it again? It is. Yeah, it is disturbing <laughs> as shit. Oh my god! <laughs> but I use your, I do put your logo in very strategic places. You should know that. It's getting some traction. So, uh, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, okay. all kidding aside, aside from the things you just mentioned, I also know of a handful of other things that you brought that you're not ready to talk about yet. So just keep your eyes open. Choir is doing stuff that I, I'm just, I'm thrilled. All joking aside, this is pure suck up moment. I am actually really, really humbled and honored to be part of what you guys are doing because I think you're doing stuff in publishing right now that is pretty brave and pretty new. And I, th- I feel like you're taking full advantage of the fact that you can, like, listen, we can do what we want here. So like no holds barred, let's just do what the fuck we want instead of following the sort of traditional arc that, that publishing has taken for a while. So yeah, I think you guys got lightning in a bottle, man. So keep it coming, man. Thank you. Well, I, I think there was a, a moment early on where, uh, I would just say for myself, it took me a couple of months to actually really just kind of wake up and kind of look at myself in the mirror and say, I own a publishing company. Like, and understand like what that means. Like, I can literally publish whatever I want. If I have a, if I have a friend, I can, you know what? Screw it. We're going to publish your book. Or I can, I come up with an idea. Like Matt and I can be just talking about, we should do, like, seriously, at the beginning, we were, you know, kidding around about, hey, we should write a book about like, Let's out Driscoll, Mark Driscoll. But the truth is, if some if we wanted to do that, we would absolutely do that because why not? You know, and that's kind of fun. It's like it it um it makes it fun to kind of just it gives us freedom, I think, to come up with and you know, and we're not going to talk about it, but Nat, you are aware of one of the and John as well, right? Some of these this little project we're working on uh, for sometime next year that'll. Definitely piss off people, the Gospel Coalition, and things like that. Um, so that, that, that kind of stuff is so much fun. It's it's like a blast to say, like, we can make this happen if we can come up with the idea. We can make it happen, and I love that. Yeah, and you know, if you went and pitched that idea to Harper House, they'd be like, "Oh, um, hell no. you need to get the hell up out of <laughs> this office and never ever, ever come." <laughs> After there's no way there's gonna be a buyout. There, no one's uh, no big publisher no, ever gonna look at us no. and go like, "Yeah, we want that library." <laughs> oh, you know what? Though I can see them buying it to put it out of print. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's true. We just want to get this stuff off people's shelves and you know make it never have existed. No, you would just dig in your heels and be like, "No, we're gonna put up more and more crazy stuff." So that's right. But 
No one, no one can ever take away the fact that Zondervan used to be a, a sponsor of Heritage Happy Hour. Let's just that's throw right. it out there. That's, that's, yep. That is a badge of honor you can wear from now until forever, man. <laughs> As, uh, John that's and right. I have the, the, uh, the, uh, the privilege of being sponsored by Papa John's. So Really? No, I'm just kidding. I just heard their commercials. <laughs> I just heard their commercials. <laughs> we get a lot of Spanish language commercials on our podcast, and I don't know why. It's very, oh, interesting. It's oh, like Zupatheos, you mean? Yeah, Zupatheos is like, Buenos dias, Papa John Pizza, DNA. DNA, algunos para para siete dólares. Jesus, this Firecast podcast is brought to you by. Yeah, it's, it's like or some like car rental company. Yeah. No, it's like it's. <laughs> now, if anyone from Pathos is listening, I can do your voiceovers, man. Let's do it, man. Like you want the whitest white dude going. Andale pues. <laughs> you know why? It's because you keep talking in Spanish on your podcast. That might be what it is. And there's some algorithm out there going, oh, this is a Spanish language bilingual podcast. Yeah, it's a, it's That's a, it's a I love it. I think it's great. I just am a little mystified by it. But um, That's funny. Anyway. All right. We love you guys. We appreciate you yeah. taking some time to hang, hang out with us. Um, I'm sure we'll talk soon, but we will link, uh, we'll put a link, obviously, a uh, an, an affiliate link, by the way. We'll put an affiliate link. Um, to the to the book, um, y'all go buy this book, man. Blow it up. Let's make. It, oh, that's a poor choice of words. Don't blow it up. Um, make it make it successful. Um, that's well. It's, it's actually doing pretty damn good. Um, to be honest, right? Good. It's number four last I checked. Nice, nice. Um, so it's doing really good. And we're, but you know what I mean. Uh, my thing is just like if you haven't read this book yet, you just you you got to read this book. I'm telling you, it's it's something special. It's really amazing. Go check it out. Thank you for listening to This Is Not Church. Be sure to rate and review the podcast on your platform of choice. If you would like to partner with us, visit patreon.com slash thisisnotchurch, where you will receive exclusive content such as early access to episodes, videos of upcoming episodes, and live Q&A sessions. Be sure to check out our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. All the links are in the show notes. We'll be back soon with another episode.